discouraged And why should the shadows come Why should my heart be lonely And long for heaven and When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he. Yes, his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me, and I sing because I'm happy. Yes, I sing.
Hello everyone, my name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 13th of February. Today's services are focused around the teaching of Jesus about blessings and woes. Our music picks up on the theme of blessing and we've just heard an old gospel song sung by Larnell Harris. We'll also hear another old song, this time sung by Carrie Underwood and two songs by Matt Redman. In the middle, we have a Teze chorus, which will also be the backdrop to our prayers of intercession. A couple of notices. The deacons will be meeting on Thursday this week. Please remember them in your prayers. And our next baptismal class will be starting soon. If you're interested in exploring baptism with no strings attached, then do please speak to me. And now our call to worship. Some verses from Psalm 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked, they are like worthless chaff, scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story.
perfect submission All is at rest I and my Savior am happy and blessed Watching and waiting Looking above Filled with God's goodness Lost in His love This is my story This is my song Praising my Savior All the day long This is my story This is my song Praising my Savior All the day long Praising my Savior Lord, we thank and praise you for all the many blessings in our lives, for food and shelter, for family and friends, for the measure of health we have and the many comforts we take for granted. Thank you also for your plain speaking. These blessings are not merited by anything we've done, just as the problems of many, of those who hunger and are homeless and sick, are also undeserved. So, Lord, in giving our heartfelt thanks... We ask that we might be a blessing to those whom the worldly wise often curse. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that we recognise today. But then we ask that you forgive us for the times that we are too busy to notice all that you pour upon us. We pray for blessing on our church, the community as a whole, and every precious individual member. Bless us with your wisdom and understanding. We pray for blessing on our local community. Help us to be a source of blessing. Help us to recognise ways that we can show and share your love. We know there are often barriers. When we are the barrier, perhaps through our fears, our worries, even our greed, give us the strength to overcome, that your blessing may overflow to all around us. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 6, beginning at verse 17. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from as far north as the sea coasts of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases and those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him, because healing power went out from him, and he healed everyone. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. 
What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets that same way. What sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now? For your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? For their ancestors also praised false prophets. Last week we saw that the way that Luke tells the story of the calling of the disciples is different from Matthew's and Mark's version. Now, I don't know whether Luke was just going out of his way to be different, but this week, instead of hearing about a sermon on a mountain, Luke tells us about a sermon on a flat piece of land. Is there more than one way of telling the story of Jesus? Well, the answer would seem to be yes. We have the book that Mark wrote in which we learn primarily what Jesus did. We have the book that John wrote in which we have insights into Jesus' relationship with his father and his own understanding of his purpose. Then we have Matthew's and Luke's books which take what Jesus did as we find it in Mark's book and then they add to this what Jesus said. Most of what we find in Matthew's and Luke's books is the same, although sometimes one arranges the story in a different way from the other. And a case in point is the story that we read today. One of the most famous parts of the story of Jesus is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5 to 7 contain some of the most famous teachings of Jesus, and they're set in the context of Jesus teaching a crowd of people on a mountainside. Here we find the Beatitudes, all the various people who are blessed in different ways. We find the Lord's Prayer, and we find Jesus comparing the old way of living to the new way that he is teaching people to follow. And it's remarkable how many of these teachings in just three chapters have become part of our heritage. Apart from the Lord's Prayer, it's here that we find Jesus speaking about going the extra mile, turning the other cheek. Tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Don't throw your pearls before swine. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Beware of wolves in sheep's clothing, the salt of the earth. The Sermon on the Mount has fascinated Christians and others alike for centuries. Now most of what we find in these three chapters in Matthew's book we also find in Luke. It's just that Luke spreads it around throughout his story about Jesus. Matthew's is much more of a handy compendium of what Jesus said and did because he's arranged his story in neat blocks of different sorts of material, teaching, miracles and parables. They all have their sections in Matthew, whereas Luke is perhaps a more naturalistic account in that it seems more likely that Jesus would have taught, told stories and healed people as he went around rather than saying, I'm not going to tell any stories today because it's a teaching without parables day. The closest we have in Luke's book to the Sermon on the Mount is the story that we have today. 
Up until this point in Luke's story of Jesus, we can read how the people in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth were outraged when he declared that a passage in Isaiah was fulfilled in him, and that through him God was bringing good news to all manner of people. He has healed people and cast out demons. He has challenged established norms of behaviour for religious people, and he has called a group of men to be his disciples. Two of these healings occurred on the Sabbath, which infuriated Jesus' religious critics. Jesus also upset some Pharisees when he called a tax collector to be his disciple. He shared a meal with him and some of his dodgier friends. The story moves on after this as we are told that one evening Jesus retreated to a mountain for prayer. When morning came, Jesus gathered twelve of those who were closest to him, and he named them as his apostles, those whom he would send out. Jesus and the twelve then came down to a level place, and they were joined by the usual crowd of people, and then Jesus began to teach them. And it's here that Luke's and Matthew's stories join up again, as Luke records a number of the same teachings that we find in Matthew's longer version. Today we're going to look at what have become known in Matthew as the Beatitudes, although what we find here in Luke are sometimes called the Four Blessings and the Four Woes. Matthew's Sermon on the Mount has a number of blessings that Luke hasn't recorded here, but on the other hand, Luke has placed these matching series of woes here, whereas Matthew has similar teachings placed much later in his book. The effect of what we find in the story we read today is therefore much more stark. Blessed are those who are in need, who go hungry, who weep, and who suffer for their faith. But woe to those who are rich, who are well fed, who laugh, and who are well thought of. These words were not directed at the crowd that had gathered to hear Jesus, but to his disciples. While we need not restrict this to the twelve whom we are told Jesus had just selected, Jesus was speaking to those who were his followers, and it was intended to teach them how they should live. But he was also addressing once again the primary objectives of his gospel, that it was those who were lowly and whom God would raise up. This was the message of Jesus in that sermon in the synagogue in Nazareth, and it was the message that the angel delivered to Mary, before Jesus was even born. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. These beatitudes are earthy, There is no spiritualizing of the conditions of those who are blessed. They are the poor and the hungry, not those who are poor in spirit or who hunger after righteousness. The poor and the hungry are blessed. The idea of being blessed perhaps needs a little explanation. In the Old Testament, this same expression crops up, for example, in the Psalms. As we heard earlier on, blessed are those who don't follow the advice of the wicked. Or in Ecclesiasticus, Bless the man who lives with a sensible wife and one who doesn't plough with ox and ass together. 
As we see in this verse from Ecclesiasticus, some of these blessings were more like Proverbs. But in the blessing from Psalm 1, we read that God would bless those who exhibited certain characteristics or who were faithful to God's law in this life through wealth and cattle and a fruitful family. God's promise to Abraham was not that he himself would live forever, but that he would be blessed because he would live on in his family. Job was someone who was blessed with all that an Old Testament man could want, family, land and livestock. But Job's story tells us of a man who was, to invent a word, de-blessed. Job's friends couldn't imagine that this could have happened without Job himself having been in some way responsible. Job's friends' reaction to how the system of blessings and woes operates is repeated in the Psalms where we find people crying out to God, frustrated at what they see as the unfairness of the world. They'd lived their lives on the understanding that if you followed God's law, you would know God's blessing. But they could see with their own eyes that this wasn't working. The wicked were prospering, and often at the expense of the poor. The United States Declaration of Independence proclaims, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Some years ago now, when Michael Howard was leader of the Conservative Party, he published a similar set of beliefs. This was the first. It is natural for men and women to want health, wealth and happiness for their families and themselves. It's hard to imagine a time or a place when this hasn't been true, and it certainly fits the situation as we find it in biblical times. However, I take issue with three subsequent beliefs. I do not believe that one person's poverty is caused by another person's wealth. And later, I don't believe that one person's ignorance is caused by another's knowledge and education. And finally, I don't believe that one person's sickness is made worse by another's health. In a world in which trade tariffs affect a nation's ability to generate wealth, rich people can buy an education which gives their children a better opportunity to become part of the elite. And therapeutic drugs are more available in rich countries than among the poor. It's hard not to think that the rich get the blessings and the poor get the woes. Yet the people to whom Jesus was speaking were not especially poor. Although this may not have been the case for the Christians living when Luke wrote his book. Luke has a special interest in the good news that God welcomes with open and loving arms the person who turns to him. His attitude towards that one person is as that of the woman who rejoices having searched high and low for a lost coin. It is that of the shepherd who is full of joy, having lost but then recovered the one sheep to go missing out of a flock numbering a hundred. And it's the pleasure of the father whose son comes home, having been estranged from him. We see evidence of Jesus bringing this message of good news in his calling down Zacchaeus from a tree and inviting himself to tea. We see it in his promise of paradise to the thief who sought reconciliation with his final breath. 
The message of good news is about the potential for redemption, but it's also a message about reversal of fortunes. It's a message that speaks of a comparison between life now and the life to come. The message contained in Mary's song, in Jesus' words at Nazareth, and in what he said to this group of disciples is the same. It is that the ethics of God's kingdom are not the same as those of the kingdoms of this world. Put another way, God's priorities are not the same as ours. The things that are eternal, that is, the things that are of God, cannot be grasped as can the things of this world. This is why Jesus said that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, and how, when he held up a child, he said that the kingdom is for such as these. Jesus condemned neither wealth nor money, but he recognized that the desire to accumulate money and possessions was not consistent with a life lived in God's kingdom. We have seen that when Jesus lived, poverty was not a badge of honor. To speak of the poor as being blessed is to take a radical departure from what was received wisdom. Jesus was talking about a new way of living. This new way of living turned on its head the accepted priorities of life. Blessed are you when you are poor, hungry, weeping, hated for turning to God. Woe to you when you are rich, full to contentment, laughing and popular. To some extent, the woes are more helpful for our understanding of what is expected of us than are the blessings. Jesus says that you've got your priorities wrong if being rich is what matters to you. You've failed to see beyond this life and you'll miss out on the greater riches to come. Jesus said that you've got your priorities wrong if you are content now. Because if you're content now, you fail to see beyond this life and will miss out on the greater riches to come. Jesus says that you've got your priorities wrong if you're laughing now. Because Noah's neighbours laughed at him. Look what happened to them. We finished our reading at the end of verse 26. But in just 23 more verses to the end of the chapter, we find the basis of living in the kingdom. Love your enemies. Treat others as you would like them to treat you. Do not judge, do not condemn, pardon and give gifts without expectation that you will receive. And that's it. That is how life is to be lived. And yet this is not simply another set of teachings that if adopted by everyone would make the world a better place. The kingdom of God is about a reversal of the world's values. But it's also about two different worlds, one human and the other divine, and about two different times, now and then. Luke's story of the gospel is sometimes suggested as having been written to reassure people who'd been disappointed because Jesus had not yet come again. One of the reasons for this is Luke's interest in what is happening now. Blessed are you who go hungry now. Blessed are you who weep now. Woe to you who are well-fed now. Woe to you who laugh now. I think that there is a more important reason for emphasizing the now and that it has less to do with preventing loss of nerve in Christian believers and more to do with encouraging them in the ways of the kingdom. You know that question, why do bad things happen to good people? 
However, I wonder if we might actually find it easier to deal with bad things happening than with Christians getting their reward. Yet this is what these blessings and woes tell us. The blessings and woes that Jesus proclaimed are a promise to Christian people that there is a reward awaiting them. This message contains a gospel of promise, the promise to Christians that a reward awaits them. But this message also contains a gospel of discontent. Being poor, hungry and unhappy are not in themselves a recipe for receiving God's blessing. God's blessing comes from recognising that these things, prosperity, comfort, peace of mind and popularity, are not as important as that which is to come. The discontent that recognises that the promises of this world are shallow and illusory will drive the believer to live the life of the kingdom and to the reward that God has promised. God's blessing is upon those who are discontented, those who are discontented with what the world has to offer. Good on you, God says, if you're not satisfied with having a full stomach. Well done, God says, if being prosperous is not your aim in life. Take a bow, God says, if this world is not the best place that you could ever imagine. Jesus says that there is nothing wrong in living this life with God's reward in mind. Indeed, Jesus recognises that to have in mind what God has promised will help you order the life you have now. So be a discontented people. Be a people who are dissatisfied with what this world has to offer, because then you will have started to turn your life upside down. And if you turn your life upside down, you have started to turn the world upside down for the sake of God's kingdom. And if the poor, the hungry, the sad and the persecuted are those who are blessed, better we side with them than that we're found on the side of the rich.
Let us pray. Lord God, we pray for an end to all racism and injustice throughout society, at home and abroad. We pray for those ostracized, hated and rejected because of race, because of faith, because of their opinions and way of life. Lord God, who loves to bless, hear our prayer. Move hearts, bring justice and joy to the suffering. We pray for the hungry throughout the world, the people of Afghanistan where malnutrition is rife, those parents so desperate they're selling their organs in exchange for money to feed their families. We pray for those struggling in our own country, in our own communities, those having to rely on food banks, those too proud to seek help. Lord God, who loves to bless, hear our prayer. Bring sustenance to the hungry, provide for all needs. We pray for all who are in need of your hand at this time. Those in hospital, all those who are caught up in the NHS backlog of appointments and operations, those mourning loved ones, those in abusive relationships deprived of love by those around them. Lord God, who loves to bless, hear our prayer. Heal all pain, bring love and laughter. We pray for all who govern and guide for the government today, help politicians unite to lead us forward through the economic and health consequences of the pandemic. For the church, may it stand firm on your kingdom values, serving you as you would serve. Lord God, who loves to bless, hear our prayer. Bless all who govern and guide with your wisdom and truth. And may the power of your blessings be with us all as we live in you, bearing abundant fruit with which to bless others in your holy name. Amen. Be your name. Bless 
Last song is another Matt Redman song, 10,000 Reasons, but first a final prayer. Lord, as we step into this week, help us to cultivate our relationship with you. We want to be rooted in you. Show us our barriers to receiving your blessing. Help us not only to recognise how blessed we are, but also show us ways that your blessing can overflow to others through us. Amen. 
worships your holy name. Yes, I will worship your holy name. Lord, I worship your holy Worship your holy name. Worship your holy name. 